<laughs> Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. Yay, I'm Ginny Urich, host and founder of 1000 Hours Outside. That didn't make sense. I'm starting over. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Out. Ah, okay. Welcome to the 1000. Come on, Ginny, you can do this. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And what a treat. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. I am across the screen once more from Alistair Humphreys. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Ginny. Seeing as it took you three goes to say that greeting, I better I better not mess up my greeting in return. So I'll just say hello, and it's wonderful to be back on your podcast. The podcast that we did together before, which centered around micro-adventures, has been one of our most popular, most shared, most listened to, most talked about. And people are constantly talking about their micro-adventures. And we've had a couple good ones since you and I spoke. We went to a swimming hole. It's voted America's best swimming hole down in Florida. We were headed to a conference and we did not have much time, but it was right off the highway. We'd never been there. And it was a little hairy trying to fit in. We only had an hour, but we went anyway because of micro-adventures. And it was one of our most memorable things that we've done this year. And in fact, I have been more apt to slide the things in. We went looking for shark teeth. We chased a sunset on the ocean. These things that maybe normally I would not have done because I felt like we didn't have enough time and they ended up being so memorable. So thank you. Oh, that's brilliant. You, yeah, you never regret going for a wild swim. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. not too sure before, but you never regret it. And I love that, that you just squeezed it in on the way to somewhere else. Um, yeah. I remember I um, I was going to do a talk in the Netherlands, some, somewhere just outside Amsterdam. And the taxi guy picked me up from a Amsterdam train station and was driving me there. And we kept driving all over all these lovely canals, as you do in the Netherlands. And I kept, every time I ever go over a bridge, I always try and look down to see if the river would be good for canoeing or camping or swimming and after about six seven eight of these canals eventually i just had to shout stop the taxi and the guy (laughs) pulled over the taxi i said i'm gonna go for a swim do you want to join me assuming he'd go no you weirdo but we're on the meter so do what you like and he said yeah sure so me and the taxi driver uh, stripped down to our boxer shorts jumped off the bridge into the canal got dressed got back in the taxi and carried on to the event Uh, and he sent me about an an email about a year later saying that that was still one of his favorite ever taxi drives he's done so yeah it only takes a couple of minutes of something like that and you remember it for years don't you yes yes and so i'm so grateful because this concept of micro adventures, this concept of the nine to five versus the five to nine, all the things that we talked about. So if people have not listened, they have to go back and listen because it was a life changing episode. I just so enjoyed the book. And then in getting to know you have learned that you have all sorts of books up to 14. Now you are just coming out with books left and right, all sorts of different types of books. And you're also a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year. You've done so many cool things, Alistair. And we talked about it in the last one, but you have a set of books for kids. And so after we did the Micro Adventures podcast, which was a favorite with a lot of my friends too. So that's always special. You know, when you get like a little cool points with your friends, everyone really liked this episode and everyone dove into your books. We've got moms and they've got kids and a lot are homeschooling and a lot just love the concept of reading aloud as a family. And so all my friends started reading your trilogy, The Boy Who Biked the World. And then you just came out with a girl who rode the ocean. And I also have the Great Adventures book too, which I want to talk about. But they're talking about these books all the time, Alistair. These are some of our favorite books, they say for our family and we love to read them and we're reading the adventures and we are looking up on YouTube about the great salt flats and all these different things and they're learning geography and just raving. Everyone is raving about these books. And so you and I talked about uh, because we're heading into the holiday season, people are already asking about what are you getting for holiday gifts and that books, especially books that give you a little prompt to adventure especially books and help you learn are such an awesome gift for kids and for families. So I'm so excited to talk about these today. You have, like I said, so many different kinds of books. You're eclectic and that's fascinating to me. Most authors seem to stick with the same genre, but you have books for adults and books for kids and micro adventures and grand adventures and autobiography type things. And so tell us about how you ended up writing kids books and what is your motivation to write these books for kids? I started to write kids' books because 
well, first of all, I started reading a lot as a kid and I loved reading as a kid. I used to sit on the carpet of my bedroom with my back against the hot radiator and read books. And it was reading books that got me dreaming of adventure. And then I moved on, obviously, to reading adult type adventure travel books. So reading all those sort of things were what pushed me out of the front door in the first place to go and explore the world. Um, I trained before I cycled around the world, I trained to be a teacher, um, a school teacher. And so when I was cycling around the world for four years, I visited literally hundreds of schools around the world. And I loved just turning up at these schools, dirty, stinking, sometimes with just crazy long hair that I hadn't cut for a year, or sometimes bald if I'd just cut my hair for the first time in a year. This sort of stinky, feral guy who turned up with a bicycle and all his worldly possessions on the bicycle and to walk into a school into the assembly hall and there were all hundreds of kids there and just be able to say listen there is a world of adventure and wildness out there if you just dare to go and have a look at it so I would talk to these children about all my adventures going all the way around the world and the brilliant thing about talking about adventures like that is you can sneak in loads of education and information yes. without the kids realizing. It's like grating the carrots really fine to put in the pasta sauce and tricking the kid to eat some vegetables. It's mm -hmm. like that education hidden away in yeah. adventure. And so when I got home, I wrote um, my story of cycling around the world, but I wrote it uh, for children. And I thought that rather than me, boring adult man, Talk, doing this adventure, I would basically just turn myself into a boy of indeterminate age. And so it becomes the boy who bite the world, who somehow implausibly um, persuades his mum and dad to be allowed to go off and ride his bike around the world. But so, but I think once that bit of suspension of disbelief is over, after that, it's just this kid having an adventure around the world, very much as I did on my own experiences. And then mm -hmm. inevitably you learn about the cultures and the places and the geography and hopefully a little bit of mindset and attitude and perseverance and grit. And I tried to sort of squeeze those things in amongst enough stories about poo to keep the children interested. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I have this burning question, which is, do you really like banana sandwiches? <laughs> yeah. So in the, the Boy Bite the World, Tom, he eats a phenomenal amount of banana sandwiches. And the reality is that on my adventures, I do eat quite a lot of banana sandwiches because in, well, Say, let's say poorer parts of the world where it's harder to get supplies or perhaps uh, there's a risk of food poisoning sometimes, basic, things like that. Generally, a banana is brilliant because it's cheap, it's delicious, it's sterile, it's wrapped in its own protected little case, and I, I really like them. So, uh, yeah, when I cycle around the world, I did eat a lot of banana sandwiches. Not as many as Tom did, but a lot. <laughs> These days, now that I'm older and middle-aged and a busher, I now have my banana mashed on toast, often with a little bit of almond butter as well. But I'm still a fan of the uh, of the old banana sandwich <laughs> on adventures. And so you just get yourself a piece of bread, either a roll or a flat bit of bread, peel a banana, shove it in, fold it up like a hot dog, gobble it down, really cheap, really healthy, and boom, you can be back on your bike and hiking again. Wow. So these adventures are based off of your story. Are they mostly accurate? Yep, very much so. Yeah. So yeah, the the um both the boy who bite the world and the girl who rode the ocean are very much based on the realities of my experiences from my own adventures. Wow. Yeah. Um I've I've I polished the characters a bit to maybe make them funnier or right. something. But yeah, generally they they wouldn't stand up in a court of law, but they they match pretty well to my diaries of the adventures. Yeah. And so that was something I was curious about too, which is how did you keep track of what you were doing? So when I on all of my adventures, um ever since I started them, I've always written a diary just in a and I always do it um not on not on a digital thing. Mm -hmm. Um phones break notebooks bend so a notebook with a pen and then at the end of the day in my tent or sitting around the campfire I write down what I've been seeing what I've been thinking what I've been feeling um it's uh, quite a lot of my adventures have been solo so writing a diary becomes a bit like a conversation with a friend it's a bit of a a a brain therapy session almost at times when you're struggling on adventures but also 
I do have in mind that I'm later going to want to be writing about these trips and I've got a terrible memory. So I need to jot down all that sort of stuff as well. But I've come to, I don't, I don't often write diaries at home. Actually, that's not true. I write a diary every single day about my kids, but I don't write a diary about myself every day. But on trips, for some reason, it's just something that I enjoy doing every evening. Well, it's a nice way to wrap up a day, especially like you said, if you're by yourself, So you said earlier, which I love this statement, education hidden away in adventure. And that is what we are finding. And all my friends are talking about with these books. Now, they've read The Boy Who Biked the World trilogy and The Girl Who Rode the Ocean just came out. So I've read that one, but I don't think my friends have read that one yet. But you do learn so much through your stories about geography, about different cultures. Did you find that you learned those things as you went through or did you have to research later to fill in the gaps um a bit of both really so cycling around the world um i set off to ride around the world because i wanted a a typical adventure man versus mountain and deserts and i thought it was a solitary experience of me in the wild seeing if i could pass those sort of tests my 40 days in the wild sort of struggles but in reality once you've ridden your bike for a few months you get very fit and strong and then that's kind of easy and that would be true of literally anyone i'm not an athlete Mm. at all i'm just a normal guy who spent a lot of hours on a bike and therefore got fit Uh, but so what then becomes interesting is the human side of it you're cycling through these countries that you've only ever seen on the TV news or right. some countries that I couldn't even spell or couldn't even really put precisely on a map. And yet suddenly you're realizing that in every every place in the world, Syria or Siberia or San Francisco, people have to go out in the morning and buy their bread. They have to get their kids to school. They have, they have to meet, they gather, they chat, they have their cultural things, their religious things. They have arguments and the petty squabbles and the romances and everything of life is the same in every single country. Mm-hmm. But the differences are what make it interesting. Now, I find living in England, going to the supermarket really boring, but put me in any other country in the world. And I love going to the supermarket because it's suddenly all a tiny bit different. Mm. And even better when you can't understand a word that everyone's saying, suddenly going to try and buy some apples when you're in Ethiopia becomes a little adventure. And so Mm. just turning everyday life starts to become an adventure when you just go somewhere that's new and different for you. Mm. Um, And I loved you know, One thing that drew me to cycling around the world was I was fascinated about what are all those exotic, strange people like on the other side of the world? And so I'd cycled all the way to the other side of the world to find out. And of course, once you get there, they just think they're completely normal people living their lives. And then they suddenly look at you, this exotic, strange person who's come from the other side of the world. And suddenly you're the exotic specimen. So I found that really interesting as well. Right. Where everyone thinks their own lives are normal, but everyone else's lives right. are very different. There was one story where someone said they were surprised that you didn't have a llama. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, if you grow if you if you grow up where every family you know has a llama, um, and perhaps having two llamas means you're rich, and suddenly this guy comes from the end of the earth on a bicycle, therefore he must be really rich to have a bicycle. But he doesn't have a llama. How <laughs> weird is that? So and one thing I found really interesting was the the different way people perceived me. So some countries I would Mm. cycle through, essentially, let's say, for simplicity, let's say Europe and North America, this dirt, I'm a dirty guy riding a bicycle with just four little panniers on, you know, with my camping gear. And therefore, I must be poor. And people sort of treated me slightly in that way. And then you get to other countries, poor parts of the world, where suddenly I'm this guy on a bicycle, a shiny bicycle with four whole bags of stuff. I must be so rich and exotic. Mm. So I found that really interesting. The different ways we perceive other people actually reflects a lot on ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you want to have an education in life, just get on a bicycle and cycle for a long way. And it's a, and then if you're curious to learn about the stuff that you see in those places. So your question was whether I had to research and a lot of stuff I learned just from being in the places, but also it just got me interested in things I'd never been interested Mm. in before stuff that at school I found really boring history, geography, science, boring languages, boring, suddenly become fascinating when you're actually in them. And particularly with the girl who rode the ocean, which is my uh, story about rowing across the Atlantic. 
there's essentially two books within mm-hmm. one there. There's the story, the adventure of what it's like to row an ocean. And I know that because I did that myself. And then there's all the education stuff that I've tried to sneak in mm-hmm. through roughly alternating chapters, which I I just spent huge amounts of time going down internet rabbit holes, learning all sorts of random stuff about jellyfish and sharks and plastic pollution. It was, it was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's woven in so brilliantly, even in the boy I have so many things written down from The Boy Who Biked the World, the series, that the Ethiopian calendar is seven years later than the rest of the world. Telling time is different. You're learning about all these different geographical places. And so I love how you worded that. It snuck in with all the adventure. And then with the girl who rode the ocean, I love the format of that, which was basically every other chapter was her classmates' homework assignments about all the things that she was learning about while she rode the ocean. And that is the point is there's so many things to learn about when you do an adventure, you would think rowing the ocean would be kind of boring and plain and not that much to learn about. How did you even pick all of those topics? Well, I, I, it was, I found that book really hard to write because as you point out, rowing across an ocean is kind of boring in some ways. There is, there's moments of terror and moments of wonder and delight mixed in with a lot of just sitting there rowing across a big empty blueness. And so when I started writing the book, it was a kind of boring book, really. It was just a lot of rowing across empty blueness. So I wanted to, I wanted, I, this book more than any book I've ever written, I wanted kids to secretly be learning stuff. I really mm-hmm. focus. I thought this book, I really want to get some stuff across that's important about the oceans. Um, but how to do that when it's just one girl on her own in the ocean. So I tried all sorts of things that just didn't really work, all sorts of story structure till eventually I came up with the option of the kids back home learning about it and having mm-hmm. their so-called homework, which I have to say they did more diligently and thoroughly than I ever did my homework. Um, and the way I chose what to include was I tried to think what is really important that people don't know about the oceans and try mm-hmm. to fit that sort of stuff in. And then I did also then go through the the British school curriculum, which I imagine is pretty similar to yours, yeah. for this age group of seven to 11-year-olds. I went through all the topics they're meant to learn to see if there were any that could overlap in those. Wow. Um, and then the, the other thing I did was to try and – I'm really interested in the growth mindset, mm-hmm. um, try, trying to not people not just thinking I'm good at maths or I'm bad at maths, but thinking I can I can improve. That's the sort of essence of the growth mindset. And I really wanted to try and draw that out as much as I could in the book. So I think that's really important, uh, an important approach for children. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why. I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I wanna make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. 
Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Right. And in so many of the books, it's about taking that first step, pushing your legs around the pedals one time and then another time and walking that first mile. And that theme comes up so much. Just go do something. Like you said, jump in the canal and it's going to be 15 minutes, but you're going to remember that forever. And that experience you have with that taxi cab driver, they're going to remember that forever too. So I love that reminder all the time. Just go, just do something and it will enhance your life. You wove it beautifully, all the different chapters where they're talking about the different things that she would have learned about because she saw a whale and you describe that beautifully. And then you have a small snippet on whales and it's super interesting. And then solar power and how tides work. I thought that was fascinating about the tides coming in and coming out and the biggest tides happen when the moon is new or full and the largest tide is in the Bay of Fundy in Canada. Who knew? There's so many interesting things yeah, to learn about. A billion tons of Atlantic water move in and out of the base. So I loved that. And I loved this flip book. Oh, good. I was, you know, I wanted to ask you about that, but I wasn't sure it would work very well for a podcast conversation. So yeah. It's so um, cool. What a cool idea. When I say this would be such a fun gift for the holidays, for kids, the bottom right corner is a flip book of her rowing and there's birds that are flying through. That's brilliant. Do you, do you remember when we were kids and we were bored in school ourselves? We do in the down in the corner of a yes. book, you draw. Well, you start off when you're a beginner by doing a ball bouncing up and down the page yes. as you flip through it bounces. And then you get better. You start to have men fighting each other and chopping their heads off with swords. <laughs> or maybe that was just me. But yeah, so when I, so I used to love that, that, and you get that now sound effect that mm-hmm. flicking through of a book. So yeah, I had to, the design of the book nearly killed me for the amount of work that was. But I was like, come on, we've got to put a flip book in the corner of this book because there's a, that's great, a great part of it. So I'm really it's glad great. you noticed I love that. it. It is brilliant okay. and so fun. We would do it on post-it notes. Do you have those? Yes. And so yeah, you yeah. have a little thing of post-it notes and you do a flip. I mean, that was that was all the rage during elementary and middle school. Yeah, you got post-it notes yes. there. Yeah, to make the flip book. So I love that just really special part in the corner there. Now, there's something at the end beyond the fact that you have all sorts of resources and further reading, which I love that, Alistair. It's like not the internet rabbit hole. It's the real life put a book in my hand rabbit hole. And I love that you have all these different ideas of books to read. And then there's online resources as well. But can we talk about the author's note? <laughs> sure. Uh, which is that you took this in, you took this book in and they said, no, tell us about yeah. that. So I, you know, I, I cycled around the world and therefore I wrote a book called the boy who bite the world. And that seems a fairly obvious thing to do. And then I rode across the Atlantic Ocean. So that's R-O-W-E-D. We should probably have clarified yes, yeah, that earlier. So yeah, I it's was me thinking a, about that earlier. It's in a, a little rowing boat. So rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. I actually did it in a boat with four people, uh, four, four guys. We rode across the Atlantic 3,000 miles for 45 days and nights uh, from um, wow. Europe to the Caribbean, the Caribbean, as you say. And uh, and and then the book I I did it for all sorts of boring reasons. I turned it to just one person rowing the ocean, but I really wanted it to be a girl who rowed the ocean, not a boy. And the the couple of reasons for that one is uh, I have a daughter myself now, so I kind of needed to even up from the boy. I had to do one about the girl to be family fair, as you're as we're all aware <laughs> of the issues there. But also. Um, I realized that there's so many books about adventurous boys, boys doing crazy stuff, mm-hmm. boys doing crazy stuff. And there seems to be a lot of books about girls with fluffy pink, sparkly princess fairy unicorns. Yes. And I thought from my experience of visiting schools and also my experience of being a dad, I know that girls like doing crazy stuff. They like adventures and sharks and whales. Mm-hmm. And, that, who ca- and that felt really important to me. So I decided to write the book from the perspective of a girl. 
I was kind of nervous doing this because the last thing that the planet, the last thing the 21st century needs is more middle-aged white men mansplaining to the universe. So I was a bit nervous about me writing about a girl, but hey, I'm a middle-aged white man. I can't think about that. So I just thought there's nothing I can do about that, but I'll try my best to write about this from a girl. So I went to a couple of publishers in Britain um, and I said, I've I've done these adventures. I've written about the boy who bite the world. It went quite well. I now want to do the girl who rode the ocean. And the two of them, they both rejected the book. Mm -hmm. And the meetings I was in, there were women uh, who were running these meetings and they said to me, uh, well, we're not going to publish this. It doesn't make business sense because um, two things. One, girls won't read books about adventures. And two, boys won't read books with girls as the star character. And both of those things, I mean, I don't, from a business point of view, I don't know whether or not that is true. I suspect actually there's a bit of the truth with boys not maybe not being so keen on the girl thing, but that needs fixing. Uh, But anyway, leaving aside the business side of things, I just thought this isn't stupid. This is not the world I want my daughter to be growing up in. So even if no one buys this stupid book i'm going to write it anyway <laughs> and put it out there and uh, the to heck with the rest of you so mm-hmm. i did it with the girl who as a girl and so far the feedback's been great i haven't yes. had anyone getting angry it's at me for phenomenal. being a man and uh mm-hmm. yeah i've been really pleased i'm really really glad that i ignored the publishers that i did am that. too because it's a missing thing where are the stories about the adventurous girls so i am so glad that you did it Good for you for going for it. And it does even it out. You got the trilogy for the boys. And so then you got this nice, thick, amazing book for the girl who rode the ocean and great for any family to read. Yeah, this book, the girl, the girl book is thicker than the boys ones. Mm -hmm. And it's also got a much, much better front cover. The front cover, (laughs) I'm very excited about. So I think that evens it up. It is. Um, It's a good front cover. (laughs) And you have read books about feisty girl adventurers. You talk about yeah, it in, absolutely. in the Great Adventurers book. Yeah, some of my biggest adventure heroes are women. So that's right. nonsense, really, isn't it? And and what I, uh, one thing I love about the world of adventure and the world of outside and all the stuff you're doing is that none of this matters at all. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, young or old, strong or weak. None of this matters when it's about getting out into nature. And mm-hmm. if it, the thing I'm always going on about is this, if it feels like an adventure to you, it is an adventure. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I do talks, I do a talk to an audience about cycling around the world or something stupid I've done. And people come up to the at the end and they want to share their story. And they often say, oh, it's nothing like you've done, but I went mm-hmm. on da 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 once. And people say that all the time. And I know why you know, it's a sort of politish type kind of thing to do. It's a, um, I guess if I met some NFL superhero guy, I'd say, well, I'm not like you, but I like playing blah, blah. So I can see why people do it. But I always cut them off and say, what you do is exactly like me. If you go ride your bike for a weekend, then you literally know what it's like to ride it for a year. You just repeat the same thing over and over and over like a hamster on a wheel. So none of this matters who you are. It's just about doing it. And you mentioned a bit about taking the first step, which is something I always, always go on about in pretty much all my books, because even though I've been doing adventures for decades and even though i'm quite a hyperactive active proactive enthusiastic kind of guy i still find it really hard to get out the front door and do it it's so much easier just to lie on the sofa and turn the telly on than to even go for a walk it Mm -hmm. just is hard to get out the front door and so i think that's a crucial thing and that that was what initially drew me to reach out to you and i learned of uh, what you were doing Mm it's just to break things down into small little bits and Mm -hmm. if you accumulate enough small things it becomes a very significant thing doesn't it it sure does and i was thinking about your doorstep mile book which is the next on my list to read i have alistair i have eight of your 14 books. So I'm getting oh, there. You've literally doubled my sales in the US. I'm over half and have read five or six of them by now. And you have your Doorstep Mile, the Doorstep Mile podcast. And one of the things that you talk about in there, and then also in this Great Adventures book, which this is the type of book, I'm holding it up here. Hopefully I'll get this on YouTube too. This is Great Adventures, The Incredible Expeditions of 20 Explorers, a book for 
for families. And this is the type of book that you see kids pouring over again and again. There's details here, there's details there. You miss this, you read this later. But one of the things that you talked about on the podcast, your podcast, and then also in this book is about the violin. And I thought (laughs) this was such an interesting concept in saying when you've adventured a lot, sometimes it doesn't seem like an adventure anymore because it's not challenging to you. So maybe it would be a huge adventure for someone else, but to you, it's sort of same old, same old. So can you tell us about the violin? <laughs> uh, if I'd known we were going down the violin, I'd have uh, brought it out to play for you. So I'm, Next time, uh, next I'll, time, Alistair. L- yeah. Luckily, your audience will be spared that because p- the key to this whole story is that I'm very bad at the violin. And when I say I'm very bad, you have to remember here, I'm not just being British and false modest. I really suck <laughs> like a screeching six-year-old torture, dead cat sucking. So bear that in mind. So yeah, I, I spent years doing adventures and I didn't. I did them because I wanted the challenge and the excitement and the newness and the surprise and the learning and the fear of failure and all this good stuff that all of us love about adventures. But inevitably, if you spend decades going camping and things, you get good at it. And then it becomes kind of normal. And I started to think that although all this adventure stuff sounded great, in some ways, it was actually me just hiding away in my safe old comfort zone. Mm. And yes, from the outside, it might look very heroic and admirable that I was off doing all these wholesome nature challenges, but maybe I was just actually cruising a bit and maybe what i needed to try and do was think about what adventure used to mean to me all those things i just listed and ask how i could get that back in my life and that then brought me to a book that i read years ago my first year at university actually um, about a young english guy who walked through spain in the 1930s playing his violin and he played it very beautifully and he'd walk through spain playing and playing in parks and in town squares and he writes beautifully about all these lovely little Spanish towns and the warm summer evenings and people would throw money at his in his hat and then he'd go and spend it on wine and all these beautiful girls. And it was just this beautiful, amazing adventure. And I always thought I'd love to go and have an adventure like that, but I can't play the violin or anything musical. And actually I'm really shy about performing at karaoke, singing, dancing really, really gets me scared. So that then made me think, if I want to get fear and uncertainty and risk and fear of failure back in my life, then what I really need to do is go and play the violin in Spain. And the moment I had this idea, I felt simultaneously thrilled and terrified. And those two feelings, if you feel excited and scared, that is the sign of a good adventure. So I started learning the violin. I had about seven months until um, I needed, till my time when I was going to go to Spain. I thought that in seven months, I'd be pretty good at the violin. I thought I was going to be pretty expert, a bit of Bruce Springsteen, a bit of Bob Dylan, a few flamenco tunes. Uh, The violin is really hard, though, and I'm really bad. So (laughs) when departure time came, I really sucked. I I could play five songs of about 20 seconds each, the things you teach Uh, six-year-olds. My best song was the Muppet Show theme tune. Um, And that was all I could do. But I'd done the important thing, the doorstep mile thing, is I bought my plane ticket to Spain. Therefore, I was committed. And I told everyone, I'm going to Spain on that date. Boom. So I flew out to Spain, really scared, thinking this is such a stupid idea. And I had no money and no credit card. I was going to do this properly, like Laurie Lee, the original guy. So the first morning in Spain, I emptied out, I flew out there, I stayed in the hotel. And then the next morning, I emptied the final coins from my pocket, left them in a little pile on a park bench (laughs) and walked off into this town with zero money, no credit card. First time in my life I'd been, had nothing. And the only way I was going to get any food for the next month was if, I played my violin. And so I stood up (laughs) in this town square, put out my case, like you see the professionals do in uh, New York, Grand Central Station or somewhere exotic. I put out my case. I started playing away. Awful, (laughs) screeching, horrific, most embarrassing thing of my life. Absolutely terrifying. I was blushing. I felt such a fool. Horrific. 
to cut a long story short, eventually someone gave me a coin, that first coin. And wow, the thrill, the rush, the gratitude, the joy, the excitement, the adventure of it, Mm -hmm. of getting that coin. And then off I went through Spain. I walked 500 miles through the mountains, sleeping on the hilltops, cooking on open fires, washing by swimming in rivers. But none of that is the adventure. That's what That was my day job. I've been doing that mm. for decades. Yeah. The adventure was every day when I wanted to buy a loaf of bread, I had to get out my violin and play and perform. And that was the adventure. And this trip, it was one of the best adventures of my life. And the really important part of it was making me realize that what adventure means to me is not necessarily what it means to you. Mm-hmm. And also what adventure means to you um, today isn't necessarily what it meant to you five years ago mm-hmm. or five years from now. And I think having a different perspective on adventure is a really, really helpful mm-hmm tool for keeping your life fresh and exciting and challenging. Wow. And you have that story in the Great Adventures book, The Incredible Expeditions of 20 Explorers. And you have opened my eyes to a new genre. I like to read too. I've always liked to read since I was a kid. And I didn't realize that there were stories about all these adventures, either that they've written or people who have written about them. So I read my first one, Alistair. Oh, cool. What was it? Amazon woman. Ah. Darcy, I don't know how you pronounce her last name, Getcher. She rode the Amazon in a kayak from source to sea, the Amazon wow. River. And it was phenomenal. This genre, I didn't even realize it really existed, these real life adventure stories. So, did you start reading those when you were young? Did you start reading them in college? How did you find them? I started reading adventure stories and travel stories um, when I went to university. So when I was about 19 and I should have been studying zoology, (laughs) I actually started to discover all these crazy people who would go to the North Pole and go to the South Pole and kayak down the Amazon and climb mountains and cross deserts. And I mean, some of them are just exciting stories because they're so stupid and thrilling. Um, But quite a lot of them were people who were really trying to live lives of purpose and meaning and substance. And, and the, and they didn't feel that they were getting that just doing the normal stuff that everybody else was doing in their normal lives at home. And they were really, they, they were sort of often, they're sort of running away from stuff, but they're Mm -hmm. kind of running to something as well. They're trying to really live a rich and full life. And I found that side of it, really fascinating as well as all just the crazy adventure crazy mad stuff that's just really exciting like a hollywood movie stuff so mm-hmm. um and then as with any genre once you start to get into it you realize the depths of things in that so um i found that very captivating and then if you throw into that you know the 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 national geographic magazines the sort of the uh, you know the yellow famous yellow mm-hmm. magazines that you can you can just pick up 50 of them for a dollar at a garage sale and things and the pictures and the just the idea that there was this world out there that was far more exciting than my small little town in England so Mm. that then got took me from just enjoying the books to also thinking I want to go and do some of this for myself Mm. Um, and how can I do that as a young person without much money I know I'll put a tent on the back of my bicycle and I'll go for a bike ride and that then opened the door to turning the enjoyment of reading into the actual doing the committing to action which i think is a important end part of it Mm -hmm. well i'm so thrilled that you opened my eyes to that new genre i've read this amazon woman and then i have this book called endurance which is about shackleton and getting i don't know i haven't started it yet but oh wow if you haven't started if you haven't started it you i can't tell you how jealous i am of you that you do not person because then you will read it not knowing what happens at the end. So that's such a, a wonderful. Oh, yeah, it's, on my, it's a, on my next. It's the next one in my pile. So, yeah, that's properly crazy. If people can see and I put this up on YouTube, you have stacks and stacks of books behind you. Do you have some favorites? Are the favorites some of the ones that you chronicled in this Great Adventures book? Yeah, so the Great Adventures book you've got there, it's got a big illustrated book for young children but that was really a passion project of me just wanting to share my personal favorite adventure stories with people so yeah probably about 
mo- mo- a lot of the people in that book are the people who completely inspired me to the adventures I'm doing. And also a good a good thing about that kids book is it will lead the adults towards some interesting books for for them to read. Right. Some That's what I was thinking. People. And yeah. you say it's for young children, but this to me, this is the type of book that every family wants to have sitting in their home so that the child can pick it up because there's so much to learn in here and every time you go through it there's something new that you see and you talk about how should they pack their kits and there's a mix of information and cartoons and maps and little sidebars 24 things to do before you are 16. oh she's a great woman audrey sutherland all your all your uh listeners will really enjoy her she was a good outdoory woman uh yeah, that list of things to do before you're 16 is a great thing for homeschoolers to go for as well. Right. Things like how you have to fix an engine, cook a mm-hmm. chicken, all sorts of useful things. You mend your clothes. This book is, and it's so cool looking. Every page, and it's laid out so beautifully, and it's different. That's the thing about your books. I've got Micro Adventures here, which is a such cool picture of your eyes. <laughs> I love the cover it's of this one. My it's an early selfie that was I think before the word <laughs> selfie was invented but it's a selfie of me swimming down the river thames actually wow and this one's filled with photos and the photos are absolutely unbelievably stunning so you add that to your list of things that you do is you take phenomenal photos so this one's got pictures and then you have these books for children so i love that you are introducing to kids this genre of real life adventure stories. And for me, just me as a one person, I'm reading the books now, right? I've read my first one and I've got the second one in queue. We have done micro adventures. And so you are helping people do those practical things that change their lives. And it's a big deal. It's really important and very meaningful. So, so thank you. I'm getting teared up because it's really been impactful for us. Well, let me say, let me interrupt you then by saying you are doing exactly the same. You know, when that, when we did that podcast interview before, that's I do quite a lot of podcast interviews, and to be honest, I usually find them quite boring. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yours, you're you're a really fun person. But the feedback from the from that interview I did with you has been more than I've had in anything for a long time. So it's great to see what you're doing and also all your your disciples your fans your followers who are just out there taking action and getting themselves and their kids outdoors is absolutely brilliant I, I think it's fantastic so i'm delighted that our paths have crossed i am too and it's it's so neat when the small things can really change your life the, the doorstep mile the nine to five versus the five to nine this new genre of book to read with our children and for them to be reminded of that first step and just go do something and all of that it changes your life these small things really change your life so one of the things that you talk about a lot in your books the boy who cha- who biked the world and the girl who rode the ocean is this concept of dreaming and it makes you think of being a child and dreaming of all that's ahead and daydreaming. Do you still do that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I hope I'll hope I will always be doing that. But yeah, I, I'm a big dreamer. And I think that's a good thing, a reason to love books, isn't it? Because mm. they just take you off on daydreams and daydreams. Oh, they do. Lovely. They um, spark yes. that. What are yeah. you dreaming about now? What's on your horizon? Oh, well, it's not really what I'm dreaming about. It's what I'm doing yes. is um, I've, so I've spent years going all the way around the world and, and encouraging other people to go around the world. Cause that's, it's a brilliant thing to do. And I would still always encourage that, but a couple, a few things. One is I started doing the micro adventures, realizing I could find local adventure close to home. And then also just realizing that I didn't really know where I lived, even despite spending years doing micro adventures close to home. So I decided to commit to spending an entire year just exploring the one single map that I live on. And in the UK, we have these hiking maps. They measure about um, 15 miles by 15 miles. And and the map is divided up into one kilometre grid squares. And they're really detailed. They've got all the little streams and footpaths. You can go hiking on them. Um, I'm sure you have the same, but I don't know what they're called. I'm sorry. But so these hiking maps, basically, Mm -hmm. um, of where I live. And where I live isn't that exciting. It's a fairly boring farmland and small towns just outside London. It's not, it's really, you would never choose to come here on vacation. But I've decided, I'm just, this is, I'm going to explore this. 
So I'd go out once a week to one grid square, so one kilometre by one Mm. kilometre, and then I'd try to walk every footpath in there or cycle every street in it and try as much as possible to see everything in one kilometre. And when I first started, I thought, this will be quite boring because there'll just be a few streets, a few sheep and a few McDonald's rubbish things thrown in the in the gutter and it'll be a bit boring i the first week took me about six hours to go through this one kilometer square and i had to give up because my head was about to explode with how much stuff i'd seen in one empty kilometer and so what i've really been doing is just forcing myself to slow down more than i've Mm. ever done before i've always adventure for me has always been about let's go from here to there as fast as possible and that's an adventure but now it's about how slow can i go how much can i see how much can i observe what sparks can this set off that when i get home i'm going to spend two hours researching on the internet so Mm. um yeah so i for 52 weeks a year i went to 52 grid squares my map actually there's 400 squares on the map so for me to even wow. go everywhere on my one map would take me eight years to do. Yeah. And that's that's without, you know, so I'd see one grid square in the summer. I need to go back there in the winter and see what it's like in the winter. I need to go there under a full moon and see what it's like under a moon. So there's just, it's just exploded my mind of how much there is within the one little map that I live on. And I, I haven't got time to go around the world anymore because I need to go see what's at the end of my street. So yeah, exploring a single map is my new writing project. Wow. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. And that's so interesting because you do go places and you think, well, I wonder what's down that street. I wonder what, and you don't have the time. Or you choose not to use right. your time on that. Right. Well, that's, that's brilliant. So this is the next writing project. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I've um, written the first draft of it at the moment. It's massively too long and really boring. <laughs> so I need to chop it in half and then hopefully it'll become interesting. One of the hardest things about being a writer is that the more of your words you delete the better your book gets Mm -hmm. so you spend months writing and then you delete it all and suddenly everything gets better so yeah i'm plowing through that but it should be i think that'll be out next summer wow we when you and i talked last time you had said oh this is a break from my writing and i think would you have been writing the girl who rode the ocean or would you have been writing the 52 week one 
well, I tend to overlap things a bit, but okay. I've been the girl who rode the ocean. I started about five or six years ago, so my feeling of, at the end of that was relief <laughs> rather than celebration. Like, oh, good riddance! <laughs> like when your gr- like when your grandmother finally leaves after staying for two weeks uh, or something like that. <laughs> so I was like, oh goodness, this uh, I love you, but off you go. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I tend to. So the, the the map project's been great because it's involved a whole year of going out and exploring my map mm-hmm. and taking photos. And now uh, now comes the uh, the work part of right. polishing the words. But yeah, I tend to have overlapping projects. So hopefully by the time before I finish this single map, I will have come up with the idea for the next kids book, which will either oh, be cool. the the girl who did this, the boy who did this, or maybe. I don't know what you think. Maybe the boy and girl together should go do something. I think um, so. I, ha- I think so. I ha- yeah, I haven't decided yet. What does your family think about all of this? Well, not a lot because they're my family. So they think I'm a boring, normal person. I'd like, like everyone thinks about their family. Certainly, I, I'm guessing you mean my kids. My kids just think I'm the boring old guy who tells them to tidy their room and eat their vegetables. So uh, they just think it's kind of my normal job, really. So mm-hmm. they're it's quite a good way of keeping my feet on the ground because they're totally uninterested in everything I do, which I quite like. <laughs> it helps keep, <laughs> it helps keeps my triumphs and disasters in perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do they like to go with you or we talked about this a little bit last time. I mean, they're typical teens, tweens right around there. Yeah. And like ours yeah, are, they don't really want to do anything. Typical tweens who given a choice would literally spend every hour in front of a screen i mean if that if you if you said to them you can do anything you want today what would it be it will be i'd like to stare at a screen uh and i think that's an important thing for me to acknowledge as adventure guy that i struggle with that as much as absolutely everyone and it drives me absolutely nuts Mm -hmm. but when i can when i can uh um get them in a headlock and drag them out the front door then again the single step once they're outside they love it they say, right, we're going to go for a walk in the woods. Oh, dad, so boring. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's rainy. Oh, it's so boring. You get them out there and woohoo, they're off and they love it. But getting them out there is really hard. And also it's a huge test of willpower. Sometimes I just think, maybe I can't be bothered. Maybe I'll just turn the telly on. But I have to, oh, I have to make myself do it because I know it's worth it once you get out there. But it's a real hard thing. It really is a struggle. And actually, sorry, can I just say one final thing is mm-hmm. the feedback when I was seeing from you, the last podcast we did and I was sort of eavesdropping, I guess, on other people's lives, you know, and they tag you into Instagram and mm-hmm. someone you've never met before from North Carolina or Boise, Idaho is doing cool stuff with their kids. I just found it really inspiring and actually made me think I need to buck up my parenting ideas a bit because you've got some cool people doing some really cool stuff. So Mm. yeah, I like that sort of community collaborative feel of, Mm -hmm. oh, if they're doing that, maybe I can do it too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been really good to encourage me as well. And it's interesting because this concept of the doorstep mile of just getting started, it applies here. And I think it will continue to apply and be relevant to parenting, which is it is hard to push our kids out the door and to make plans with friends and to figure out where you're going to go and make sure you have the food and the things that you need. But when you take that first step, they're happy too. Like you said, once they're outside, they love it. And so this concept I think goes far and beyond just our own lives, but also is one of those harder pieces in parenting to put that effort in at the beginning and trust that it will be worth it in the long run. Yeah. And, and well, there's a quote that I often think of from a a writer, Annie Dillard, who I love, who says that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Mm -hmm. And each little day gradually builds up. I sometimes tease my wife about, I look through our family photo albums and it looks like we have the perfect family. Our photo albums are just smiling kids, having a lovely time on a mountain, in a river, just wonderful. I'm like, where are all the pictures of the dead-eyed zombies in front of (laughs) screens where are the screaming tantrums about i hate you i don't want to go to the stupid woods where 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 are those huge photo albums but i mean we'd have a lot more of those photo albums but the ones we do have of the smiling people on hilltops that that's what makes it all worthwhile isn't it Mm -hmm. what are you um what are you reading now oh gosh what am i reading now i i tend to race through books so i've been reading um a good 
well, my hesitancy slightly because it's totally off topic of this, but it's a really good book called The Happiness Trap, which is about, um, gosh, what's it about? It's a vaguely sort of meditation type book, but it's about trying to um, take the thought, the thoughts and thoughts that are constantly racing through our heads. Often in my case, the kinds of negative, oh, my life sucks. Oh, everything's so hard. Is to, the essence of the book is, acknowledge all those thoughts and then step back and think are these actually helpful for the values that i'm trying to live by mm -hmm. if not which they're probably not then take action towards the values that matter so act accept all the crazy thoughts choose your values and then take action mm -hmm. so that that's the book that i've been reading recently it's had a, a big impact on me yeah that's amazing what are you reading at the moment well i just finished amazon woman and uh, I have that Shackleton one, Endurance next. But I also am reading a book called The Shallows about how the internet is changing our brain. And I just finished The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, where he talks about how we have to get out of our comfort zone. And he did a hunting expedition for 33 days in Alaska. It's actually a somewhat similar format. It's for adults, but somewhat similar format to the girl who rode the ocean because he goes back and forth between his story and doing something that's completely out of his comfort zone and things that he's ever done in his life. Even hunting, he'd never done that before. And pairing it with science and what happens when we take risks. And so it's been... That's been a really interesting one for me. I have a whole stack. I probably have a stack of 20 books. You can hardly get to my bed. There's books <laughs> there's everywhere. A, there's, the Japanese have a, a word for that. Sundoku means the uh, the large pile of unread books you have, which I think is a always a, a sign of a good person. T-S-U-N-D-O-K-U. Sundoku. Wow. Seeing as, seeing as we've now moved on from talking about adventure to just having a general book club chat, <laughs> uh, what you mentioned there about the hunting trip, a book I read recently, which I thought was fantastic, was by a guy called Michael Pollan called The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is about how we get our food. And he follows three meals from field to fork, essentially. One is a McDonald's drive through meal, which he which he takes from the cows and some pretty grim sort of cow life through some factories and some corn syrup and all sorts of kind of disgusting stuff to the drive through which his kids love. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then he goes to a farm and he gets a really large organic farm-raised chicken that costs about $50 or something. And then the final one is he gets a gun and he learns how to use it and he has to go out and shoot something. He's some sort of New York City guy. He's never shot anything in his life mm -hmm. and he found it all horrific. But I found that so interesting to learn about and to think about where we get our food and the implications mm. of that so for your book i love club, this book club conversation <laughs> this is fantastic i've also been reading <laughs> neil postman who is not alive anymore mm. but he wrote this book in 1985 called amusing ourselves to death and it is phenomenally interesting about how we are imprisoning ourselves is basically the concept because we're choosing to sit in front of the screens instead of live our life. And obviously there's nuance about that because these screens today are different than 1985 and they're designed to be addictive in many ways, but it's a fascinating book and he actually has a lot of books. So maybe the optimistic side of that though, you say screens are more addictive now, which I agree with, but you know, when when I was a kid, my parents were like, oh, are you in front of the television? The youth of today, rah, rah, rah. And then um, Lucretius, the um, was he a Roman, I don't know what he was, a Roman philosopher, teacher, something like that, 2,000 years ago. He's got this fantastic quote about the kids of today are just wasting their time with frivolous, <laughs> frivolous stuff, and they're not doing useful things with their time. So perhaps this is just what happens when you become <laughs> a parent over the last 2,000 years, yeah. and we need to just relax. Yes. And uh, the kids will be all right in the end. It is the truth. It's been the same all the way through. I read a book the woman from the sound of music i don't know why i can't think of her name all of us the von trapp julie andrews yes oh, von and maria, yes. maria von trapp yes played by julie andrews but yeah. she wrote an autobiography and had had something in there the same thing it was in the early i don't know when it was earlier 1900s and she's saying everyone's sitting around watching these baseball games on the television and no one's <laughs> doing anything useful so you are right it has been an age-old problem and i i think it will always be which i think 
th that's why your books and this concept of microadventure and live it out every day and do the things that are around you and go and take the first step are such important reminders. And that's why it's fantastic that you have so many books. I just have started skimming it, but you have the book Ask an Adventurer. And so this is in my pile as well. Live adventurously, be creative, make a living. And you talk about your writing in there. And I think sometimes we're self-conscious to put our writing out there. Why does the world need another book? What do I have to say that's of any value? But then I think for my own life about all these books that I've read and you talk about all the books that you've read, they've changed our lives completely in these different ways and these different concepts. And so I think I don't really know where I'm going with that, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm just glad that you're writing more books, I guess. I'm glad that book 15 is in the works and I want to recap real quick because this is coming out in October and the holidays are right around the season and in the States, some of these books you can get overnight, but then some of them take a week or, you know, a week to 10 days. So just so people know, they've got to get them soon. The Boy Who Biked the World is a trilogy. The Girl Who Rode the Ocean just came out. It's fantastic. And then also for kids is this great adventures. I think every family should have this one. This should sit in everyone's bookshelf. This is one of those ones that you come back to time and time again. And it's a jumping off point for so many other things. And like you said, this can lead to the books that the parents read or that you read together as a family as you study what these different adventurers have done. And then you have beyond these, you have eight others. I get, I'm losing track. Yeah, you don't need to go through all of those. <laughs> but they're fantastic books. So Alistair, I so appreciate your time and I'm so excited to read what you have coming next. Do you have a title for that one yet? The working title is A Single Map. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's my style. And, and I stole that. I stole that from YouTube from this short, a short running video. It's a really nice running video. Um, called Of Fells and Men. It's only about eight minutes. There's this American guy who goes, does like ultramarathons all around the world. And he gets this, he comes to this little corner of England. We only have a tiny little bit of mountain in England. It's probably 15 miles by 15 miles. That's it for our wildest part of the whole country. Yeah. And there he finds these real tough guy runners who just run in these English hills. Yeah. And he, this American guy who goes all over the world, he's so smitten with their love and knowledge and uh connectedness to this tiny thing that he says i'm almost jealous of these people i go all around the world but i'm almost jealous and i wonder i almost wonder whether a single mountain range mm. isn't enough for an entire lifetime so i'm asking is a single map enough for an entire lifetime of exploration mm. I can't wait to read that. So Alistair, if people are trying to figure out where to find you, obviously your web your website is phenomenal. There's so much information on there and it's fun. It's a fun website. So can you tell people where they can find you and where they can find the books? Yeah, so I'm on um, the internet, alistairhumphreys.com. Uh, I'm on Goo uh, Twitter and Instagram at al underscore Humphreys. I'm on Facebook, Alistair Humphreys. YouTube, got lots of videos. You can see some very bad violin playing as me walking across Spain. And then my books are on Amazon, also on bookshop.org mm -hmm. and um, those sort of sites. Yeah, and you have three podcasts as well. The one I was talking about earlier is The Doorstep Mile, but you have two other ones. And The Doorstep Mile, they're short. This is long. You have got some great yeah. 10 minute or less clips that are inspiring. So tell us real quick about your podcast. So The Doorstep Mile and Ask an Adventurer are essentially just my books turned into short, snappy podcast episodes for people who prefer them that way. And then I've done one called Living Adventurously, which was I spent a month cycling around the county that I grew up in, in England, interviewing different people who were in their own ways, living adventurously. And they range from a, a chef to a, a guy who makes sandcastles professionally for a living to all sorts of different people who in their own way are living adventurously. Um, that's, that's my that's my best podcast by a long way. Okay. I've also got some newsletters if people want some newsletters, but yes, of course of they want the newsletters. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Alistair, I want to read one of these quotes that I just loved from your book, having a dream is not enough. Tom also did the most important thing of all he began. He started small, the rest will follow little by little. Thank you for inspiring us to adventure. Thank you for inspiring us to read, to read about other people's adventures. And I'm looking forward to the next time we get to chat. Me too, Ginny, thanks so much.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.